Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cepha or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Thank you so much. I don't know if y'all are ready for this text. I know I'm not ready because Kathy showed up with this cool new mug for me. It says, uh, it says Black Top Pulpit, Life Reformed, which is the podcast we do on Tuesdays. And uh, during that podcast, we... Well, the person who preaches the sermon gets uh, criticized for the sermon he preaches. That's basically what happens on Tuesdays. So, thank you, Kathy. Uh, this, this last Tuesday, Albert, we, we critiqued Albert on, <laughs> on his sermon from last Sunday. Uh, it's not really a critique as, as much as it is just diving into the, the depths of what is, what is taught and getting it application. So, if you, if you don't listen, or watch, listen to or watch the Black Top Pulpit, I encourage you to do so. Um, because... They're brutal. <laughs> uh, you guys get to criticize me on Tuesday, so that's fine. <laughs> We're looking forward to it. All right. Uh, I also want to mention our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, this is a special collection leading up to Easter and on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, uh, for the North American Mission Board and for church planting and church revitalization across, uh, across North America. So be sure and give to that above uh, your regular offering above your regular donation. Uh, Let's pray and we'll dive into this text. God, I want to thank you for everything you do. I want to thank you for giving us your earth to enjoy. I want to thank you for giving us your word, even though we don't deserve it. And I want to thank you for the tribulation that you lead us through in this life, because that is what sanctifies us. I want to thank you for my church family. The family with whom I get to be sanctified. And I want to thank you for Paul's letter to Corinth. I want to thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ. And sacrifice means your glory 
and our salvation. Be with us now as we come to 1 Corinthians. Lord, we ask that you open our eyes, give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and through the proclamation of your word this morning, you conform us more to the image of Jesus Christ. Lead us to build one another up more and more. And lead us, Lord, to reach our community and the world with the gospel. And not a watered-down version of the gospel, but the real message concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, we love you and thank you for everything. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Kathy wasn't the only one to steal my thunder this morning by giving me a cool mug. And now everybody's going to be looking at it. (laughs) But Dottie also stole my thunder by recapping, so I don't have to recap. (laughs) All right. Let's just just jump right into the text. Can we do that? Let's jump right into the text here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul has determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. He has encouraged the church to to do the same. Uh, Determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Uh, In the previous passage, uh, Paul has basically uh, given us the the responsibility of a of a pastor teacher the elders of the church um, by saying they are accountable to god uh, god will hold each preacher or teacher responsible for what he presents to the church by way of teaching uh, no no one should use anything any material other than the gospel to build on the foundation of jesus christ because it cannot be done anyway uh, christ will come in judgment and he will burn away all of the work that is not faithful to the text of Scripture, and what is faithful to the text of Scripture will remain. That is God's promise, and that is what Paul called the pastor-teacher to. And as we applied that to everyone, it's like all the work we do, we do it as if we are serving the Lord because we are. And all of the work we do for ourselves, not in service of God, that work will be burned away. And keeping that in mind, we now come to verse 16 in chapter 3. Do you, now Paul speaking to the church, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? I, I, want, to, I want to stop there and ask two questions. Of course, coming through this chapter so far, Paul has made it very clear that the local church is not to be puffed up in its knowledge. Um, there are Paulites, uh, and there are Apollosites, and there are Cephasites in the church at Corinth, puffed up in their knowledge and fighting one another, uh, divided over their doctrines that aren't clearly defined in Scripture, um, philosophizing and drawing divisive lines, denominations based on those things. So there's division in the church based on they're being puffed up in knowledge. And secondly, why... Why are we not to idolize pastors, preachers, or teachers? Why are we not to idolize them? We like to idolize our preachers and teachers. Uh, We like to have celebrities in the church. And I don't know if that's a Western culture thing, having celebrities. I don't think that it is. I think it's worldwide. I think it's human nature. We we like to promote celebrities because we identify with them. And uh, we find... um, 
we find it easy to interact with other people based on the lives of a celebrity rather than our own lives. So somehow making celebrities for ourselves helps us to ignore what's, what's wrong with ourselves, uh, to ignore the ways that we, have, that we have failed. Why, for the Christian church, is the making of celebrities, why, why is that not consistent with biblical biblical faith and here in verse 16 paul reminds us you you are the temple of god or you are a temple of god and the spirit of god dwells in you now paul here is clearly saying and paul takes the position of a preacher so this is this is this comes from a place of humility uh, and it is humbling for the elders of a church for the preachers and teachers of of a church to read this because it's um, the, the personality in the pulpit is not in view um, personalities in the pulpit like to make the text about themselves um, it's easy for us to commit the sin of narcissus, um, even as even as preachers and teachers like work hard at dividing the word of truth, the word of God, so that they can present it to the congregation for the congregation's good. The sin of narcissus, which is reading myself into the text, right? Narcissism, eisegesis, reading myself into the text. Um, that's a temptation for everyone. But here, notice, um, Paul has quickly transitioned from speaking to the preacher and about the preacher and about his responsibilities to the congregation. Now the, now the congregation is in view. Do you, congregation, do you not know that you are a temple of, of God? The group. And look at the particulars of verse 16 here, the grammar here. Uh, you, you can't tell in English because in English we have the same word you, whether it's singular or plural. But in the Greek, there are, it's different, right? There is a plural you and there is a singular you. And this is the plural, do you. He's referring to the, to the entire congregation in Corinth, to the local church. Do you not know that you, plural, are a temple singular of God. Now, this is important because Paul is identifying the congregation, the local church body, as a temple of God. He's not referring to each individual as a temple of God. And here's where I hear um, some misrepresentation of the text sometimes, right? And in chapter 6, Paul will refer to the individuals as a temple for a different purpose, to, to encourage every believer on an individual basis to live a moral life, not an immoral life. But here he's identifying the church, the congregation. And here we get to refine our ecclesiology, our, our doctrine of the church just a little bit. But Paul here identifies the church as a group. And the group is a temple of God. And you've heard me say this before, and I, I feel a need to say it again because we get at it here in verse 16. There is no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. Amen. Amen. Um, there, is, there is no world, no reality in which someone can forsake the church and still refer to him or herself as a Christian, as being in Christ. Now don't mishear me. I am not saying someone has to go to church in order to become a Christian. Um, that's, that's not what I'm saying. That would be a workspace righteousness. To say that would be to forsake the gospel of, of grace. I am saying that once someone comes to Christ, once someone comes into relationship with Christ, once someone is made a part of the, the body of Christ, the church on earth, 
that person is part of a, a body of Christ. You can't be part of Christ's body without being part of Christ's body. You hear me? This, this work of regeneration in our hearts, this work of sanctification, when, when Christ saves us, He doesn't just save us so we can continue to live like that, without people, without community. When, when Christ saves us, He saves us to Himself. He saves us as part of His kingdom. He builds us as a, as a, as a living stone and brick in His church. That's good. And so there is no such thing as lone wolf Christianity. You, the group, local church, are a temple of God. This is the identity of the church. It is the group. It is true that there is no salvation apart from the church, but that's not in a Roman Catholic sense. It's in a, it's in a Christ-centered sense where Christ is building us as part of His church, not in a sense which we have to be baptized into the church to be saved. But when we are saved, we become part of the church. And the reason I'm repeating it in different ways is because I really want this to make sense to us. So can you just confirm this for me? Is what I'm saying, does it make sense to you? Yes, sir. Okay, then we will move on. And that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And Holy Spirit here is also singular. It's not like every Christian has a different Holy Spirit living in, indwelling him or her, right? Which I think that's, that seems to be sensical, seems to be common sense. But I don't know if we think about the ramifications, right? If there is a single Holy Spirit indwelling all believers, and that means the Holy Spirit indwelling us means we are connected to one another, essentially, Right? necessarily connected to one another. And that when the Holy Spirit leads, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead one individual this way and one individual that way and another individual in another way. When the Holy Spirit leads, the Holy Spirit leads the community of faith together toward a single purpose, the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so to be apart, apart from the community of faith is to neglect the leadership of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit leads us. The Holy Spirit doesn't lead me to do something that the Holy Spirit doesn't also lead you to do. We are, we are the same community of faith. We are one in Christ. And we hear this language all the time. This is basic Christian language, but I, I don't know if we, we think about what that entails. That if someone forsakes the body, forsakes Christ... It is impossible for that person to follow the Holy Spirit. Yet we hear this lone wolf Christianity. I feel the Holy Spirit leading me to do that. And while it is true, the Holy Spirit guides and counsels individuals. He does not do so apart from the body, apart from the church, apart from the congregation. It's amazing that in the... The very first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul really does just get a basic ecclesiology, basic church structure, basic, basic involvement in, in the local church. So there's no room for us to be puffed up in our knowledge. Because to be puffed up in one's knowledge is to take on, to, to think to separate oneself from the congregation in a sense and say, I know more and I don't need anyone to teach me. 
Listen, the preacher of a church and the elder of a church still needs to be discipled. Amen. Amen. I'm thankful for men like Albert and, and Steve and, and PA and Ken who disciple me. And my mentor is living in other places, and I'm, and I'm happy that I get to reciprocate that by pouring into them and pouring into the congregation using the spiritual gifts that God has given me. That's what it means to live in the body. It's what it means for us not to exalt our pastors or elders, but to treat them like part of the family who are given a certain place of service. And it's, and it's humbling for the preacher or teacher who is, who is full of himself. <laughs> you know? I don't know that I've heard many sermons like this so far. It's amazing to me that those who usually depart from the church because they have some complaint against the church or about something that somebody said in, in the church, usually those are the ones puffed up in their knowledge. Not always, but usually those are the ones puffed up in their own knowledge who presume that they know more than others and have nothing else to learn and are only looking for confirmation rather than understanding. Don't be that guy. <laughs> and I, I pray that I am never that guy. Verse 17. If any man, here referring to individuals, an individual, the only individuals Paul has talked about so far are those who have the primary responsibilities to preach and teach. That's an important detail here. If any man destroys the temple of God, the local church, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are, local church body. I have heard verse 17 here misappropriated in two ways. Are you ready? The first one's kind of comical. So, growing up in church... I heard this verse used to suggest you are a temple of God. Therefore, don't you dare destroy the temple by getting tattoos or smoking cigarettes. <laughs> right? Have you heard that? Are you from this? Okay. That's not what Paul is getting at. I'm not making a comment on those things. Yes, I will. If you have tattoos, great. Welcome to the family. <laughs> if you smoke a cigarette, look, be very careful not to call sin what the Bible does not call sin. Oh, that's good. The other way I, I heard this misappropriated was a few years ago, three years ago, I think, a very, very prominent preacher stood up in the pulpit in front of a a church network that he planted. And he said, how dare you criticize the leaders of the church? Referring to himself in part, but also other leaders of different churches or organizations that claim to be churches like Bill Johnson and Rick Warren, and he was defending them. And I'm, I'm not making a statement about those guys here right now. But he said, if you criticize those men, and if you say that they are wrong, you are taking a sledgehammer to the temple of God. And he was right here. 
That's not what this verse gets at. You notice, so far in this first letter to Corinth, Paul has been very gracious to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth is one of the unhealthiest churches. And Paul isn't here saying, you church at Corinth, don't you dare talk about me that way, because this church was being mean to Paul. Straight up criticizing him. Instead, look at this. He identifies the local church congregation as holy. That is what you are. Paul, he decides to take the punches. Determined to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. He, he determines to, to take the punches that the church throws at him. And in response, he says, you are holy. The, the bride that Christ has set apart for himself. You are so precious, local church. And if any man here, referring back to preachers, teachers, elders of the church, those who came after Paul and were using different materials to build upon the gospel foundation that Paul laid, if you, preachers, teachers, those who presume to know much but don't, don't really understand the things upon which you insist, if any man, you, preacher, teacher, destroys the temple of God, the local church, this is the opposite way. This is opposite from what I heard this preacher three years ago saying. Paul is talking to preachers. If you destroy the temple of God, if you destroy the the local church by, by building with materials other than the gospel, God will destroy you. That's how serious this is. This isn't an indictment on Joe Christian or Jill Christian. This is an indictment upon those those preachers and teachers who would by their by their teaching divide the church with unsound doctrine extra things that are not the person and work of Jesus Christ God will destroy them you know this is terrifying God really does judge more harshly those who preach and teach. We better work hard at getting this correct. Because we will be held accountable for what we say. And I will be held accountable by God for what I say right right here. Right. This is this is serious business. Verse eighteen. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you, again, the singular here draws out the fact that this, he's still talking about the preacher, teacher, elder now, in in indictment format, warning format. Let no man deceive himself. Let no preacher deceive himself. Let no teacher deceive himself. If any man among you thinks He is wise in this age, presumes to be a preacher or a teacher and to know much. He must become foolish. This is a call to humility. Don't be puffed up in your knowledge. Be informed. Know a lot. Work hard. Study. Present the word of God. But determine to be foolish before your hearers. Determine to be humble in that knowledge. So that he may become wise. Wisdom, I guess, according to Paul here, is knowing a lot, but 
not always having to force that knowledge on others. That's huge. Huge. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. That's Job chapter 5, verse 13. This is God. This is who God is. This is the work God is doing and has, has been doing from Old Testament times. And Paul just decides to prove his point by quoting the Old Testament. Yeah, that'll do it, right? God has always been this way. It's what God is doing. He is shaming the wise of this world. That's what God is interested in doing. He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, and this is Psalm ninety-four, eleven: the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, <laughs> that they are useless. <laughs> how, do you, how do you like that, right? <laughs> I think about Jesus and some of Jesus' teaching. This is Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. And, and Jesus, he's, he's praying and he thanks the Father. He thanks the Father for shaming the wise by bringing forth praise from infants. And then I think, I feel like I'm a little too young to be a church elder. You know what I mean? (laughs) I understand elder, there's a position, not an age, but there's a reason we call it church elder because supposedly with age comes wisdom and those are the people you want serving as the church elders, the the wise in the church, wise according to the spirit, according to the faith, those wise according to the ways of God and the ways of of scripture. And, And we hope that older men are becoming elders of the church. And I, but I got y'all, I'm 30 years old. It's okay. We love you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. And for some reason, the Holy Spirit found it fitting to make me an elder in his church. And y'all, that is humbling. Okay. That, I mean, that's humbling for me. To, to have such an office and to, to have such, such, to have the privilege of speaking to you, pouring into you. And sometimes I am amazed at the words that come out of my mouth. Can I say that? Not that I haven't prepared or I don't know what I'm going to say, okay? But I, I, like, I sit down to read the scripture and I'm like, oh my God, how can my brain even comprehend that enough to explain it and to formulate words and, and to do that? Yo, I am not the kind of person that you would expect to become a pastor. I don't know if you know my history. I'm not the kind of person that you normally picture as a pastor. I mean, I I stink and go to Stronghold Cafe on Saturday nights, and I and I play music there, and I and I and I have whiskey as I'm playing music. And when you think preacher, you don't think that. And there's such a depth of sin that I have had to overcome for the glory of Christ. You know you have a sinner standing before you, right? A wretched sinner. I am 
foolish according to the ways of the world. And I always have been. I didn't have much common sense growing up. My mom will be here in a couple weeks. You can ask her. (laughs) Not much common sense. And God chose a little twerp to, to bring His Word and somehow made that little twerp intelligent. I don't know how that happened. I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that apparently knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit, so I can't take credit for that. (laughs) And then I read in Scripture about how God uses the young as a voice of wisdom to shame the wives of this world. And I don't know I don't know why he chose me. Or anyone else for that matter. God could just Jesus could just stay incarnate and build a worldwide megachurch, you know, and stream. He he didn't do that. Um I have been criticized often simply because of my youth. Do you know that? And there's some truth to that because youth, there's some foolishness that comes with youth and some youthful pride that comes with a young age. Pride that I probably don't even see yet and I won't see until I get older. Right? But then I read in Scripture that God is using the young to shame the wise and I think, okay, let me just submit. It's God's, God's plan. And I find that God is on the side of those who are humble. And if we are humble here together as a local church, God will not destroy us. God does not destroy the teacher who is, who is humble. God destroys those who destroy the temple of God by prideful teaching. By teaching that is not in line with the gospel. And so we stay humble. Understanding that if we don't get this, if we don't get this correct, the church is in a very bad place. We don't read the scriptures hoping to discover our own doctrine. We hopefully are striving to formulate our doctrine as much as possible to the pages of scripture, not adding to it, taking away from it, or twisting it in any way. That is what we work toward. That is what we want to do. Verse twenty-one. So then, let no one boast in men. Why? Because Christ is interested in the local church as a whole. Not in raising any particular individual above another. Let no one boast in men. That's why we do not idolize pastors or preachers. Right there, there's our answer. Four. Now, this is going to challenge some of us. For all things belong to you, plural. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, all things belong to the local church. And then Paul names himself, Paul, I, Paul, I belong to you. 
Apollos belongs to you. You, you. No, don't be Paulites because you don't belong to Paul. Paul belongs to you, right? No, don't be Apollosites because you don't belong to Apollos. Apollos belongs to you. No, don't be Cephasites because you don't belong to Cephas. That's Peter, right? The Apostle Peter. You don't belong to Peter. Peter belongs to, to you. The Apostles were slaves of the church and slaves of God. And here we see it in Scripture. You know, sometimes we'll hear someone stand up and say, I don't serve you. I serve <laughs> false. The preachers and teachers of the church, the elders of the church are slaves to the church. The church does not belong to the elders. The elders, the elders belong to the church. This is, I mean, that's congregationalism. Some guys have a problem with that. I, I mean, we're a congregational church. I don't have a problem with that, right? I think we understand this. The preachers are slaves of the church to bring the church truth, to testify to the truth, give the gospel to the local church, to build up the local church, to consider the local church to be more important than, than the preacher, the one presenting the message. This is the position elders of the church are in. This is a position even the apostles were in, and we are not greater than the apostles. And then we see also all things doesn't only include the elders of the church, the apostles. All things belonging to the church includes the world, life, death. And Paul gets a little vague just in case he hasn't included something, right? He wants to be all inclusive here. Things present and things to come. All things belong to you local church what can you can you explain that one to me because here we are in in the world and most people seem to have put together a doctrine or belief system in which the world belongs to satan Or the world belongs to the nations of the world still. And here, Scripture says the world belongs to the local church. Now we have some incoherence in our, in our worldview, in our doctrine. And Paul here, he, he clearly identifies the church as being an authority over the world in the current age as he is writing this letter. I mean, he, he affirms that the local the church has received its inheritance as a co-heir with Christ, like has received, currently has. Like we've taken hold of that inheritance we, we have in Christ. And Paul here is saying that, like we don't have to wait for that sort of inheritance. That, that's great news. Right? I think back in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when, when Jesus came, He was incarnate, and, and He said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said, it is coming, it's here, it's coming with me, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we get to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, and Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Now go make disciples. 
Why? Because the church is a co-heir with Christ. If all authority has been given to Christ, and the church is His body, and the church has a responsibility to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then guess what? The world belongs to the church. His, his kingdom is not being reserved for a future time. It is now. It is now. We can't escape that when we read from Paul. What about the fact that the earth, the world, seems to be getting worse and worse? What about the fact that our, our nation seems to, seems to be morally denigrating and that faith in America seems to be denigrating? What about that? You say Christ is in control, and you say the world belongs to the church. What about that? I think that proves our point, because the church has been denigrating for a long time. As the church goes, so the world goes, if this is true. Right? So as a sense of morality in the church denigrates, sense of morality in the world around the church denigrates. As doctrine in the church denigrates, I was speaking with a friend of mine on, oh, this was yesterday, about how in the Southern Baptist Convention we started with 1689 London Baptist Confession, which is so solid and so doctrinally deep, and that was forsaken for what is now the 2000 BFNM, Baptist Faith and Message, which is so watered down compared to the 1689 Confession. As doctrine denigrates in the church, as we as we lose our ecclesiology and, and eschatology, so the world denigrates. And it's crazy how you can actually look at the history of the United States and see, like where the church took a took a turn from doctrine, solid biblical doctrine, started adding things to the text of Scripture. And around that time, the, the United States started just right along with the church. And this is correlation. It's not causation, but, but correlation could get at causation. It's just it's not explicit there. But you can actually see that in, in the history of the church and in the nation. And so you, you look at that and it's, it proves what Paul is saying here. We want to experience healing in our nation, church. It's time to step up. And you, local church, belong to Christ, not your pastor, to Christ. Christ is Lord. We are His body. We are doing His work, not our own. We are speaking His words, not our own. This is how Christ conquers the world. The proclamation of His Word and the Great Commission, right? And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Here to mean God the Father. Well, what do you do with that one? <laughs> Christ belongs to God. Here we get a taste of a doctrine Paul is going to get at later called E. I'm not sure any of these terms are sufficient to actually 
represent what's going on in, in the Godhead and the, the, the inner Trinitarian relationships between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I, I don't know that I like these terms, but here they are. Here are the theological terms. Either eternal generation or eternal subordination. And with that second one, you get heretical real quick if you're not careful, okay? But Paul will get at that later in this letter to the church at Corinth, like it's important or something. And he will describe it uh, more deeply. And we will consider those doctrines then. Just understand, there is a relationship between Christ and the Father, such that the Father wills, and the Son always reveals and always eternally does the will of the Father. Not that he is unequal to the Father. Not that he is inferior to the Father. He's co-equal, co-eternal with the Father. But the Son always is revealing and doing the will of the Father. And we'll get more at that as we continue to work through 1 Corinthians here. But church, this impacts our... It impacts our ecclesiology, which is the point. Like, 1 Corinthians is basic ecclesiology, right? That's the study of the church, doctrine of the church. But y'all, this is going to mess with our eschatology, too, our doctrine of end times. Because here, Paul, he's, he's teaching that, first of all, in verse 15, he, he taught that the fire to come is not a destroying fire, but a... <laughs> Yeah, cleansing fire, a perfecting fire, a purging fire, purifying fire. How many more P words can we come up with? (laughs) Here's another one. Here in verse 22, we see that the kingdom is present. So, (laughs) you guys know what I'm about to do, don't you? Purifying fire, present kingdom, which demands a persistent church. Glad I could be your entertainment this morning. Are we living like we're actually part of a kingdom that is here? Or church, are we... Are we cowering away like the kingdom is not yet? Like we have to hide from a world that doesn't belong to Christ and He doesn't have authority over? No, we do not. Christ is king now. He reigns now. The church is His kingdom now. And as we're about to learn as we move to our present study of the book of Revelation, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of His Christ. Is that not what we sing at Christmas time? That's, that's a great Advent song of the faith. It is here. And we are here to see His kingdom come. When we pray, God, Your will be done, Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not an empty prayer like that is what we are working toward, brothers and sisters. We we don't shy away from that. We come up with every excuse not not to fulfill the role that Christ has for the church in this present world. We come up with every excuse and, and we develop our own doctrine toward that end, right? Let's try not to do that. (laughs) Let's go forward. May God's kingdom come. May we go. May we share the gospel without hesitation or reservation. 
we won't be able to do that forever. Christ will come again, and at that point, no more sharing the gospel, so share it as much as you can now. Well, I mean, no more sharing the gospel with unbelievers, so I'm sure we'll still share it with one another, right? Do it while you can. Don't don't waste your life. That's what John Piper would say. Right here, right at this moment. It's time to go. It's time to do this thing.